Good morning. We continue our study in Paul's first letter to Timothy. We reached the end of chapter 1, Lord's Lord's Day afternoon. So let's turn to God's Word, your copy of the Scriptures, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, we'll be reading the first seven verses. We'll be in these verses for at least this week and next week. Uh, so far, that is. Our focus this morning will be on the first three verses only, but let's read together 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. This is the word of God. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings, those and all who are in high positions, that we may live a, lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This is our passage before us this morning. And if you want a title for this sermon, it's really simple. And the text before us is not a difficult text, which places a greater responsibility on us to obey and to be instructed from the Word of God as we pay our, give our attention to His Word. So our title is An Urgent Call to Pray. An Urgent Call to to pray. And as we've come to the end of chapter 1, it's good to remind ourselves that the divisions and chapters and verses, and in some cases paragraphs and even headings in your translation, are not inspired. They are often helpful, particularly in large bodies of texts in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament. But as in Paul's writing in the epistles, there are numerous different subjects addressed but we need to remember they are all part of one text or letter, that particular letter or gospel account. And as such, everything is connected to what goes before and what comes after. You don't write a letter that's just got random subjects all over the place. It's connected. And this is made easier for us to preserve when... A passage following the subject we've been looking to is followed by the word therefore, which is often the case in the scriptures. Therefore, or for this reason, as we have it here in the transition from chapter 1 to chapter 2, Paul says, first of all then, it's not a new book that he's starting, first of all what? First of all, with regard to what we've been looking at, telling us to zoom out and consider the letter, or the gospel, whatever we're studying, as a whole. What follows is a natural consequence of what was taught before. An application 
if you like, and that's exactly what these first verses are, an application of what he has spoken of. It's not always the case, new chapter, new subject, let's leave that for tomorrow. Paul took a nap, and then he woke up the next morning and said, oh, I forgot about one thing, that's not the case at all. No, there's unity in all the scriptures and connection not only to that text, but to the whole body of truth and the unity of scripture is preserved for us, which is a wonderful grace of Christ to us. And why can I say these things? Because the ultimate author of the scriptures is God, the Holy Spirit, who Peter points out, picks up men, picked men up and carried them along by the Holy Spirit as they wrote the word of God. And as we read the scriptures, we see the writing style. We get a sense of the personality of the character of the particular human writer. But the author is God and the Holy Spirit preserving the continuity and the harmony with all other scriptures by many other human authors. But the whole and the smallest sections are the will of God and the words of Christ as dictated, as it were, by the Holy Spirit. Very God who breathes upon the word and brings the truth to sight as the hymn writer goes, afford a sanctifying light. All scripture is truly for our benefit and instruction. And it's interesting that the first and opening paragraph here in chapter 2 after the charge, remember last week, to hold the faith or to guard the deposit and holding a good conscience is in the context of the public worship of God's people, indicating that this is a very important part in the life of the believer urged upon the church. First of all, then, after these things, Timothy is to ensure that in the gathered worship, priority and proper emphasis is given to prayer. Not just in the regular assemblies, but the inference is that believers, the recipients of God's abundant grace that we saw to Paul in his testimony, should in the church and in private be in prayer. That is an expression of the church. Paul brings practical application here, if you like, of the tools necessary to carry out or to wage the Christian warfare. And so the text open, urging Timothy, he says, I urge you, calling the church to pray. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made by all people. Is this not a reminder too, talking about the Christian warfare of the armor of God spoken about in Paul's letter to the Ephesians? When the usefulness of the armor is to be covered with prayer. In Ephesians 6 verse 18, praying at all times, after putting on this armor, ready for battle, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly 
to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change, that I might declare it boldly. How can this happen? By prayers and supplications. The text before us is very simple. It's an urgent call to prayer. And it's urged upon Timothy, therefore important to be put into practice by all, particularly in the gathered worship of God. So we have the first application and a great necessity, the powerhouse in waging the Christian warfare. And think about this, it's the means that God has given to the church to hold the faith and a good conscience. It is not in our strength alone but lies in the power of God for our salvation and our sanctification. The prayers of God's people is the Lord's means to impart grace and mercy to help in our time of need. And this must happen in the gathered church, the assembled believers. This is the venue that God has given his full attention and where he imparts grace to us. The letter of Hebrews reminds us that there is a throne of grace for God's people to draw near. And this is what Paul is talking about. And the church does that in prayer through our great high priest. Hebrews 4:14. since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. What should we do? Therefore, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And brothers and sisters, are you in great need? And friend, here today, perhaps you're in need of a savior and you're unhappy and your sins weigh down on you. There is a throne of grace that you can approach in your time of need through our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's get to our text. As we come to this short text today, let's seriously consider the means of prayer given to the church and to every believer. It is God's ordained way of accomplishing his purposes in the world and in the life of the church and God's help and power to every praying saint. We've got three very simple points this morning. Number one, and these are instructions, and these are how we wage the Christian warfare, and this is how we hold the faith and guard the deposit with faith and good conscience. How do we do this? First of all, number one, pray all kinds of prayers. Pray all kinds of prayers. That's what he says, verse one. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings these are all different kinds of prayers be made for all people. The passage we just read in Ephesians is a mirror 
of this urgent plea, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayers and supplications. Public prayers and private prayers, prayers in worship, prayers in the fellowship, prayers in our families, prayers in secret. First of all, this is the priority for the Christian. This is the first thing that you must learn. And we are a praying people. And I can attest to the fact that our church is a praying people. Our ladies are a praying people. And when I get to PVs with the people, nine times out of ten, I wish I'd be as more faithful in the reading of Scripture and things. But do you pray? I say, yes, I pray. I pray every day. And this is a great responsibility. And it's clear from Paul's description that he intends all kinds of prayers. And it gives by three examples of other terms to describe the nature of prayers. To give emphasis, perhaps. Calvin even says, I don't know why I use so many words to describe prayer. It's really all the same thing. Because prayers are intercession and supplications and thanksgiving. All these things. But I think the reason is to give emphasis to commend, recommend more warmly and urge more strongly, earnest and constant prayer. And perhaps if I had a PV with you this afternoon, you would say to me, yes, I pray. Is it urgent and constant prayer? Is it prayer that's first of all, when I wake in the morning... I am with you in prayer. Yeah, I'm rushing to work, and as I drive to work, I am in prayer. And I read my email, and it's the same to suffering, and I am in prayer. And brothers and sisters, we know how sluggish we can be in this religious duty. Therefore, we need not wonder why the Holy Spirit has emphasis to arouse us through Paul and give us specific to give us specific details to our prayers. And think about your prayers. Sometimes our prayers are just rote. We pray the same things all over and over again. Bless our family. Bless this food. Bless our church. Amen. Four things, Paul says. Four things. Prayers. Prayers is the second one he mentioned. Prayers. Every kind of prayer. And these prayers are to be for us. Yes, and for all others, for all people. Paul exhorted a similar call to prayer in Ephesians 4. You know the passage so well. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Paul says the same thing over and over again in his letters. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding keep your hearts, your anxious hearts, your troubled hearts, your sorrowful hearts, will keep your hearts in Christ Jesus. Guard your hearts and your minds. This is why we pray. The Lord is at hand. And prayer is the means that God has appointed for us to reach the ear of God in heaven with the promise of help to those who call upon him in prayer. That's why he asks us to pray, because that's the means he uses. That's the means to reach the ear of God, prayers. Secondly, he mentions supplications. Supplication. Supplication is an action of asking 
or begging earnestly, humbly bringing specific prayers to God for his people and their needs and your own. But it seems as soon as we come to pray, we have a list of endless supplications. And if you keep a little diary, and many of you do, I'm sure, the list just gets longer and longer. These supplications I want to lay before the Lord. And, and as I come to pray, Lord, I feel guilty. I'm always asking. I'm always pleading for myself, for others, for needs, and for desperate situations. Well, fear not, because Jesus in Luke 11 taught the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. And he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. And after that, he gives them a parable of the persistent neighbor. And you know the parable. And Christ teaches, what does he teach in this parable? Bring your supplications to God. Bring your requests. Bring your long list. Not so that your duty is done, because I hear. Because this is the means that I have appointed to act on behalf of your people. Bring those lists, bring your supplications. This is what Jesus says at the end of that passage. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if your son asks for a fish, We'll give, for a fish, we'll give him a serpent instead. Or if he asks for egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's why we pray. Because he gives when we pray. And Jesus said in another place, you do not receive because you don't ask. Because you don't ask. Thirdly, the third thing, prayers and supplications. And then, as if to drive the point home, it's like, yes, Paul, we do all these things when we pray. You know, we have a prayer meeting in the afternoon. But he says intercessions, intercessions. To intercede is the act of, in, interce of intervening on behalf of another. And who do we think of? Of course, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the great mediator an intercessor. And we should follow his example in our prayers. That's why Paul mentions it specifically, because he ever lives to intercede for us. And he says to you, Christian, intercede on behalf of all people. Your prayer list just got really, really big. We are nothing, and we have nothing of worth without Christ through his work as mediator and intercessor. Christ is the one who gives grace to our souls. What does Paul say? Reciprocate. Let us stand in and intercede on behalf of others. They too, they too might find help and grace in their time of need. Intercede for your child who is wayward and not trusting in Christ. Stand in the place for him. Pray for him in their time of need. Brothers and sisters, intercessory prayer is a balm for the soul. And it replaces that temptation to allow us to become anxious about all things. 
I'm so anxious about this operation I'm going to have. My sister or my brother is so anxious about the financial ruin that they are facing. Pray, intercede, step in there on their behalf where the temptations, where the dark clouds of doubt, where the ongoing infirmities and many trials, trials of many kinds, all these we may bring to the throne of grace on behalf of others with confidence. Because God has appointed prayer as the means for us to help. If God calls us to intercede on behalf of others, Will he not hear us and answer us? That's the question at the throne of grace. Intercession is a help to our souls as we cast ourselves upon God on behalf of those that we pray for. And it is a great help to them. Intercessions. And the fourth thing he mentions in all kinds of prayers is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving ought to be an integral part of every prayer. As we are called to pray all kinds of prayers and for the salvation of unbelievers, so also we are to give thanks for their success and prosperity. We are to be the one leper who remembered to come back and say thank you. Lord, thank you for hearing my prayers. Lord, I come with thanksgiving because the prayers that I'm about to lay before you will reach your ears for Christ's sake because I pray in Christ's name. The goodness that we are shown in our lives every day and God's great love for us in Christ and his common grace to all people should result in our prayers being filled with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, so when you come to pray for your food, Again and again, again, Lord, bless this food and give us rest tonight. Lord, thank you. Give thanks to him. May we be careful that every prayer, every supplication, every intercession be prefaced and concluded with thanksgiving to God. Paul's life was a thanksgiving to God, and he urges thanksgiving to God in all our prayers. Philippians 4, again, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made a thanksgiving because we trust in God who answers our prayers. Philemon chapter 1 and verse 4, he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. In Psalm 86, there is barely a psalm that doesn't have thanksgiving throughout or at some place. Psalm 86 verse 12, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart and I will glorify your name forever. And so prayer becomes worship because it's filled with thanksgiving. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 3, I thank my God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. There's the command. Always pray all kinds of prayers. The secondly, the second instruction here for us is number two, pray for all kinds of people. Pray 
for all kinds of people. Verse 1, end of verse 1, to be made for all people, comma, for kings and all who are in high positions. So he clarifies that too. The Holy Spirit here, this is the Holy Spirit's words to us, gives us two categories for the recipients of our prayers, supplications, intercessions, thanksgiving, one general and the other specific. And if you think about the first century and what was going on in the Roman world, the unconquered Roman Empire moving forward like a mighty army, and the terrible things that were happening to the church, that is why Paul mentions these things. Pray for all people, even those not related to us in our family or in our church community and our love for our neighbor, or to also to extend to those who are unworthy of it. My neighbor drives me crazy. He's a godless man, and he takes no regard for others who live around him. All people, that we pray for all people, how much time we spend in prayer for our family, and our church families, and our pastors, and that is good, and that is right. I have no time or inclination to pray for the wicked or for gospel haters or for those who hate me, persecute me. There must have been some serious enmity between the church and the state in Paul's time and the writing of these letters and persecution that took place in place the first century. Those who hate me and persecute me, those who despise my faith, why should I pray for those who do me harm? Why should I pray for the morally depraved who constantly reject the gospel and who live in sin? There are greater needs to pray for. The missionaries and the pastors in our church, but Paul says pray for all people. Why? Because God tells us to. Because God tells us to pray for all people. First of all, then I urge supplications, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people. Don't attach your own specifications to those who qualify for your prayers. God gives us a list of those that we ought to pray for. Pray for all people. Secondly, he becomes a little more specific. Pray for rulers and all in high positions. Pray, pray for the authorities. In other words, the inference is pray for all those who have authority over you. But he specifically mentions rulers and kings. He mentions kings or rulers and magistrates because more than others, they may be hated by Christians. And if we consider the first century and the rulers and magistrates that existed, were for the most part sworn enemies of the cross of Christ. Why should we pray for those who seek to destroy the church, for those who devoted their power and their wealth to fight against the kingdom of Christ? They are at the bottom of my list. God says pray for all rulers and authorities. Paul meets this difficult quandary in our minds, our list, our short list. Yeah, at the bottom of the list, maybe. Pray for all people. Pray for the rulers. He meets it head on. 
because the magistrates and rulers are there for the preservation of mankind, even when they fall far short. And we must not, account, on account of their failure, cease to love what belongs to God and desire that it remain in force. These are not my words. Romans chapter 12, we know it so well. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority. Wait, what? Wicked kingdoms? Countries where there is no freedom? Let's listen again. For there is no authority except from God, and those exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Isaiah 40. God is the one who brings princes to naught and makes the rules, rulers of the earth as emptiness. All things are in his hands. And we are to pray for them. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as a supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God. For by doing good, you should put silence to the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor your president. Believers, here's a lesson for us. Selection year. Selection year, regardless of what country believers live in. Not only must they obey the laws of the rulers, magistrates, but also in our prayers ask for their salvation. What did Jeremiah say to the Israelites? For those who took them into captivity. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. What? We are prisoners. They hate us. They do us harm. They hate your kingdom. Seek their welfare. Pray for them. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For, its, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Brothers and sisters, we ought to be circumspect in our criticism, our opposition even hatred of rulers of the earth. Modern politics in America and around the world has opened the door to freedom of speech, hateful speech, slander, open disregard and disrespect to our rulers and the magistrates and others who work to protect our nation. And we are blessed in this country, as in all free countries of the world, that we can remove evil governments in a dignified way. Given the freedoms we enjoy and the freedom at the proper time, which is now to choose leaders and political parties that are our preference with order and according to the law. Do not criticize the king. He is God's servant even though he isn't a child of God. God has placed him there. These men, no matter how wicked they may appear to be, are placed by God, therefore honor the emperor. 
God has not made you the judge. We do not have the freedom to disobey the law of our land unless that law defies the moral law of God. For it is better to obey God than man, as Daniel and his friends illustrated so well in the Old Testament. These rulers, many of which are wicked and, do, and who defy God in their rule, they will be judged more severely. God, down through his, in the history of the world, used the worst of rulers and ungodly men to do his bidding. They too will stand before the judge of all the earth one day to give an account of their rule, whether good or bad. I quote and Calvin says, we should desire the continuance and peaceful condition of those governments which are appointed by God. What is your responsibility towards the rulers of our land and every authority placed over you, regardless of how evil or good they may be? Honor the king, his office, and his rule, and pray for them. Specifically, pray for him. And it is to this end, and Paul gives the church Two benefits for praying for the support and welfare of those in authority over us. Number one, it is for earthly benefit. It's for your stay here on earth to be better or peaceful, for a peaceful existence in this life that we may lead a quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Rulers and governments of the world are put in place by God to bring order, stability, and safety to a nation. This is God's restraining providence of the world. And even where countries and people do not enjoy the freedoms that we have in the Western world, authorities exist to protect its citizens and restrain the evil that is in the world. It is for your good. And how often the New Testament urges us to live a quiet and peaceful life. Romans 12 and verse 8. If possible, so far depends on you, live peaceably with all. First Thessalonians 4 and verse 11. And aspire to live quietly. Quietly. And to mind your own affairs. And to work with your hands as we instructed you. It is for your own good that you may live a peaceful and quiet life, godly in every respect. The second benefit and for obeying our earthly masters is to our spiritual benefit. It is to our spiritual benefit, godly and dignified in every way. Consider Jesus' words in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise of evil and on the good. He sends rain of the just and the unjust. For you love, if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
brothers and sisters, don't fall into the trap of making your earthly enemies part of your spiritual warfare. Whether the ruler or government or the man whose political views in conflict with yours, in this world we are called to mind our own business and live a quiet life in submission to the authorities. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, as Ephesians 6 tells us, against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of the present age, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. To despise authority and dishonor and hate our rulers is a worldly battle, though you might think it a righteous battle. But praying for these, for their salvation, praying for good government, for the salvation of our leaders, even if they persecute us, that is the good warfare. That is the only battle worth fighting for. Submitting to those who have authority over you is to submit to the providence of God in our lives. To submit to the authority of those over us, even wicked men, is to submit to the providence of God in our lives. Pray for the king. This brings us in the third, final place to our, our responsibility in all our prayers. And it's this, it's simple. Number three, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Where do I get this? Look at verse three. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. If this is the will of God, our prayers for all people, our prayers for rulers, our prayers for his church and for his kingdom, our prayers for peace in our land, our prayers for our president. This is pleasing to God. This ordinance of prayer is pleasing to God. This is remarkable that the sovereign creator of all things and the church for whom Christ died according to the election of God in eternity and the God who determines all things after the counsel of his own will desires that people should pray. Desires that people should pray. The God who gives all things sovereignly to his church pray without ceasing to all people come Draw near to the throne of grace. Romans 12 and verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Constant in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Again, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. So if we refuse to pay for our, pray for our rulers, we quench the spirit. When we do not intercede and bring our supplications to God, we quench the spirit. Pray without ceasing. This is the vehicle. This is the means that God chooses for his people to accomplish eternal purposes. That is why I pray every day for the salvation of my children and friends and family and people who come into the church from the mundane things in our lives to matters of local government and state, for rulers and for countries, for good government. 
for salvation for all. Brothers and sisters, pray without ceasing. Paul, through the Holy Spirit, in our text says, all of these various prayers we are to offer, this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. This, infers Paul, is fighting the, faith, the good fight. This is holding the faith and good conscience. And this is how the Lord has, this, has determined to destroy the gates of hell through the prayers of his people. We pray like the Lord Jesus taught us to pray. After that fashion, thy kingdom come. And God accomplishes the victory of his kingdom through our prayers through the prayers of the church. And as we close today, let's take these three, three things with us. And may God, by his spirit, through the word, instill in us a desire and a love for prayer. Here in the public prayer in God's house, in our prayer meeting, in our families, in our personal prayers. Prayers for the kingdom, prayers for the gospel, and those who labor in it, prayers for one another. Prayers for our rulers, prayers for our persecutors, and those who hate us. All kinds of prayers. Pray for all kinds of people. Pray without ceasing. Lord, teach us to pray. Draw near to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And plead, as a matter of urgencies, all these prayers of various kinds for all people. Because this is pleasing and good in the sight of God. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus. This is piercing heaven as that book of prayer names itself. This is tapping into the powerhouse of God. And this is our confidence. That's in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. Here the apostle John says, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have the requests that we have asked of him. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this wonderful privilege of prayer. How oh, we thank you that our prayers do not bounce back as we often feel. Thank you that our prayers through Jesus Christ, our Savior, and for his sake are always heard. Thank you that you incline yourself to us when we pray for all people. Oh, Father, how we thank you that you, the sovereign God, have appointed the means of prayer to bring people to a knowledge of the truth through your word. Oh, Father, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord Jesus Christ, make us true intercessors. Grant that we would bring our supplications to God with thanksgiving and pray without ceasing. We pray these things for Christ's sake and for his glory. Amen.